Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at US politics and specifically the race to be the Democratic Party's nominee to challenge Donald Trump for the presidency in 2020. Joining me on the line from Washington, D.C. are two of the FT's finest, Edward Luce and Courtney Weaver. Ed, first, it's already a very crowded field, isn't it? Do we have yet a sense of who's likely to emerge at the end? It's crowded. You're quite right. It's a little bit fewer than we were expecting maybe a few weeks ago. Some of those who are expected to run, notably Michael Bloomberg, former mayor of New York, Sherrod Brown, the senator from Ohio, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of L.A., haven't declared the candidacy. So I think we're up at about 14 or 15. Courtney can correct me if I'm wrong. It is nonetheless very crowded by almost any standards except the Republican field in 2016 that Trump trounced. And it is going to get larger in the coming weeks. We're almost certainly going to get Beto O'Rourke. The congressman nearly beat Ted Cruz in the senatorial race last November. And Joe Biden... The hamlet of this race is hinting ever more thickly that he is finally about to be decisive, probably to run. So we're going to get a very crowded field. To date, it's been dominated by the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, sort of leftish liberal democratic socialist wing. I think if O'Rourke and Biden can get in, you know, we're going to have what Courtney's been writing about, which is the centrist alternative. And Courtney, it already looks in some respects slightly ominous for the Democrats because this split between the left progressive wing of the Sanders, Warren, and then the younger people in Congress versus the centrists is not very civilized, is it? I mean, it's getting quite acrimonious. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing that here in Washington in Congress. I mean, I think in many ways this is a replaying of the 2016 debate of Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders. And obviously a lot of Sanders supporters in 2016 were very upset that Hillary Clinton ended up winning the nomination and then ultimately losing the presidency. I think it's interesting when you're looking at a lot of the senators who are running Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand. You know, these aren't Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren types progressives, but at the same time, they've really embraced a lot of the platforms that Sanders and Warren have. So, for instance, Medicare for all, higher tax on the wealthy. And then in Congress, like you said, you know, we're seeing a more acrimonious debate on these issues play out. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the freshman congresswoman from New York, has been getting a lot of attention, as have many of her allies in the new Congress. So that would be Ilan Omar, who was involved with this big anti-Semitism debate the other week in which it kind of divided the new Congress. She had made some controversial remarks, and there was this debate about whether she should be shut down by the party leadership, Nancy Pelosi, or whether she should be given more room to speak her mind. And yeah, we're waiting for this to kind of play out in the 2020 debate as well. I think one of the reasons you're seeing it in Congress so far is that there is no clear frontrunner. And like Ed was saying, the centrist candidates like Biden and O'Rourke haven't entered the race yet. But I think we're going to see this even more once the debates start. 
It's interesting, though, isn't it, Courtney, that the standard bearers of the progressive left, or particularly Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, is too young to run for the presidency. I mean, she might even have had a go, I think, given all the publicity she's getting. <laughs> but then on the other side, you've got two people who are in their 70s, Warren and Bernie Sanders. I mean, do you think the fact that Sanders is 78 is a bit of a problem? I mean, it's interesting. When I talk to a lot of his supporters, what they've been saying to me is, yes, they would prefer to see someone like Ocasio-Cortez, you know, someone who represents this new kind of vision of the party, you know, and the fact that she's a woman, she's not white, she's not over 70. But at the same time, they're saying that among this field right now, even people like, you know, Kamala Harris, who's embraced a lot of Bernie Sanders positions, they see him as really the only true progressive in the race. And I think the fact that his policies have remained the same and that he's really truly to the left on these issues means that he will likely get a lot of the same support he got in 2016, especially from young progressives. Even Warren isn't left-wing enough for them? Yeah, I mean, Warren supports the capitalist system overall. And then obviously she's had some controversy with claiming Native American heritage, which has riled a lot of people on the left. I mean, that could change, I guess, in the next couple of months. But so far, it seems like Sanders still feels like the standard bearer of the progressive movement. Ed, I mean, presumably Donald Trump must be pretty pleased by this. He's already trying to argue that he's going to run against people who want to turn America socialist. And here you have the Democratic frontrunner saying, yeah, yeah, I do want to turn America socialist. Yes, and he embraces the term with great pride. I mean, it's interesting that none of the others who are, as Courtney says, stealing a lot of his clothes or borrowing a lot of his clothes in terms of the big, bold statements on Medicare for all, free college education and so forth. None of them are endorsing the word socialist. And Elizabeth Warren, although she's very liberal and she's big government, actively repudiates the term socialist capitalist to her bones, she says. So I think on the left, there is an interesting division there between the Bernie Sanders Scandinavian socialism model and the radical capitalist reform, you know, that I think is probably far more consistent with the American idiom, dates back to the progressive era, to Teddy Roosevelt, to trust busting, that Elizabeth Warren is endorsing. And they are very distinct. They're both on the left, but they have different labels. And they are distinct arguments. And Ed, you've written something that I found very striking, that you thought that Ocasio-Cortez is now the second most important politician in the country after Donald Trump. Why is that? Her ability to command the social media conversation, second only to Donald Trump, who, of course, really is the first Twitter president. She is, you know, the most Twittered Congress person. She's changed the political weather with the Green New Deal and with very bold statements about having 70% or so tax rates on those earning more than 10 million. In a way, no other lawmaker, even Nancy Pelosi, has been able to do. And she is the trendsetter, for the time being at least. Not least because she's just got this brilliant facility with communicating directly with people, cutting out the middlemen, as it were. Something, of course, that is the making um, and might be the unmaking of Trump. And Courtney, she's clearly a political phenomenon, Ocasio-Cortez, and then more broadly, the progressive movement is on a roll. Do you think, I mean, to return to a question I kind of half posed to Ed, that this is a kind of a gift to Donald Trump. I mean, here's a man who's never been above 50% approval in the polls, as far as I can see, whose presidency has been very, very troubled, the Mueller investigation, etc., etc. But perhaps the one thing that could save him is if he ran against somebody who was seen as an identity politics socialist. Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent question. I mean, just to jump on one thing that Ed was just saying before, um, I think part of the reason that Ocasio-Cortez has been able to seize the limelight so much is that 
you know, there's a real vacuum in the party right now. And that the fact that we don't have a clear front runner for the nomination yet. And for so many years, the Democratic Party was dominated by the Clintons and the Obamas, and, and now they're not in the picture anymore. And then to your question about whether this is a gift for Donald Trump, I think the White House and Republicans definitely see it that way. I mean, you can see how often the president tweets about her in his State of the Union address. You know, he mentioned socialism as one of these great threats facing the U.S. now and referencing Venezuela and suggesting that the Venezuela model could be next for the country. It's interesting if you look at opinion polls. I mean, the term socialism is regarded much more positively in the U.S. now than it was a few years ago. But at the same time, a lot of American voters support this idea of Medicare for all. But then if you ask those same voters, do you support getting rid of your private health insurance? They say no. So I think it will be up to the Democrats to kind of figure out how to thread that needle. I think the term socialism maybe is less kind of scary to a lot of young people, especially than Republicans in the White House think. But for more moderate voters and for older generations, this is going to be an issue for them. And Ed, obviously, we've talked a lot about the progressive wing, and they do seem to be, as you put it, making the weather. And yet, some of what I've been reading suggests that actually people think that it won't be a Sanders figure in the end. Who do you think the favourite is? Some people say Kamala Harris may emerge, the senator from California, partly because the California primary is earlier in the race, and she has a chance to amass a lot of delegates quite quickly. She's probably the most likely of the non-front runners. The two front runners right now, even though one of them hasn't declared, is Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. I think Elizabeth Warren, for reasons Courtney mentioned, is probably an imperfect vehicle to express the party's radical will at the moment. And so I'd be skeptical of her getting the nomination. Whoever does get the nomination is probably going to endorse Medicare for all. And, you know, in addition to linking the Democratic nominee to Venezuela and pinning them to the socialist banner, Trump's going to be talking about the three trillion dollar annual cost of Medicare for all, roughly three trillion dollar annual cost in a four and a half trillion federal budget. That is an enormous tax increase. And that's an issue that no Democratic candidate has really been prepared to grapple with. You can't just get that from taxing the rich. To be sure, you've got to start by taxing the rich, but you're not going to get three trillion a year alone from taxing the rich. And so that's, I think, part of the reasons why they're looking at this race from the White House. Trump's looking at this race with some appetite. And Courtney, obviously, that is a huge question that the Democrats are going to have to answer. But on the horse race aspect of it, it's early days yet. But do you think it's going to be one of the front runners we're talking about? Or does it look more like a sort of 2008 when Obama emerged from the pack suddenly and somebody unexpected took the nomination? Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're definitely early days. But I agree with Ed that the two front runners right now are Biden and Sanders. And I think Biden's big challenge will obviously be winning the Democratic nomination when the party has moved so much to the left. And so many of the other previously centrist candidates, like the senators I mentioned, are now espousing more progressive ideas. But if the field does remain crowded, I think that's a real advantage to Bernie Sanders, because if he does continue to have this kind of core support among progressives and it's a 15 person race, that could be enough to kind of get him over the finish line in the first couple of states. No one's really talking about an Obama type figure emerging yet. I mean, Kamala Harris is sometimes compared to Obama, which I'm not sure is a quite an accurate comparison. Ed and I were just speaking earlier about Pete Buttigieg, who's the mayor from Indiana, who's running, who's getting more attention recently. But at this time, it does feel like it's Sanders and Biden's race to lose. And sorry to keep harping on about age, but how vigorous is Sanders? At 78, these presidential campaigns are incredibly taxing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that both Biden and Sanders' advantage being both in their 70s is that they're also facing a Republican candidate who is in his 70s. So it's hard to be ageist when, you know, the other candidate is, is also in the kind of the same age bracket as you are. I think Sanders would argue that he's very vigorous. I mean, he's very energetic. And when you kind of see him speak, I think now versus 2016, it doesn't seem like he's aged that much. And because he's kind of hip with young people, I think that works to his advantage as well. Yeah, no, he certainly generated enormous excitement last time around. And from what you're saying, the excitement hasn't kind of dissipated. I suppose his people felt that he was cheated last time and now's his time. Right, exactly. Ed, are you looking forward to this race with appetite? I mean, do you think it's going to be an edifying spectacle? Or do you think American politics, which entered, if I may say so, a slightly weird phase with the election of Donald Trump, is going to become even stranger in the next year or so? Yeah, I honestly think we know nothing. I mean, you know, what the polls say now, it's extremely early. I think the volatility of the public mood means this is going to be a very gripping election. The court, you mentioned Peter Buttigieg, who's 37 and who did a brilliant town hall the other day on CNN that caught a lot of attention. He was just very fluent. And he made the point that in 2054, he will be the age Donald Trump is now. So I think if there's a millennial vote, it's going to go to him at the moment. Beto O'Rourke might change that. But it's a very fluid, volatile environment. Okay, well, since you've tipped him, let's just end by you telling us a little bit about him, because he is an interesting figure. I mean, his job sounds so low down the political food chain that it's almost unimaginable the mayor of a a small town in Indiana could become US president. But he is quite an interesting figure, isn't he? You're right. A millennial who's a mayor of a town of 100,000 people wouldn't, in any ordinary American political situation, have the audacity to announce a White House bid. But not only has he had the audacity, he's caught a lot of people's imagination. He's a former military guy. He's gay, has a husband. He's a very, very articulate, thoughtful person from quite an intellectual background. It's just discovered his dad is a scholar translated the Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci <laughs> into English. Perfect. You know, he's just a sort of flavour of how how rapidly changing American politics is. OK, well, if nothing else, it's going to be a gripping race. So thank you both very much for giving us a taste of what is to come. And for now, though, thanks to Courtney Weaver and to Edward Luce in Washington. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Support comes from ServiceNow the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.